This morning, I want to talk to you about the four levels of a disciple. Second Timothy chapter two, beginning. Let's go ahead and read in verse one. He says, you, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Verse three, this is the key this morning. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one entangled in warfare. Somebody say warfare. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. And how many of you know that life will entangle you? How many know that life will tie you up? How many know that life will try to stop you? He says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Before you see it, look at your neighbor, give him a high five, tell me you look better than the last time I saw you. And you may be seated. You look like you're growing. And if you're new this morning, or you just started coming to church, or you haven't been here in a little while, first of all, welcome back. But second of all, I want you to know that you've come at a time where God is doing something very special in our church. I want to tell you that the spirit of the disciple, are there any disciples in the house? The spirit of the disciple and the spirit of the developer is rising up in our midst. There's something special that happens in a church when people begin to answer the call to discipleship. And the reason I believe that is happening is because as the video showed you earlier, God has given us a vision. And that vision that God has given us as a church, I know some of you are just, just like, Pastor, get through this because you've been sharing this every week all summer. But I'm going to keep on sharing it. <laughs> they say effective teaching is repetitive teaching. <laughs> the vision we have is to see 500 leaders rise up in two years. God's given us a vision. If there was ever a time where you said, I want to be discipled, now is the time. If there was ever a time where you said, I want to grow in the things of God, now is the time. If there was ever a time where you said, I believe that God has a plan for my life, do you believe it? Then this is a time where God wants to stir you up to answer the call and to respond to the spirit of what God is doing in your church. You see, what I believe is this, is that if we're going to see 500 leaders rise up in two years, we must all be in alignment. We've got to be in agreement. How many know that nothing stops the people who are in agreement about a thing? That when you and I come into agreement about anything, no task is impossible. Nothing can stop us from doing what God has accomplished us to do. And let me just also say this. Not only must we be aligned, but we must also be activated. Look at your neighbor and tell him, it's time for you to activate. Some of you are looking at me, just looking at me. Say, it's time for you to activate what God put in you. There's something in you. Just sit on that. There's something in you. You've got something good in you. There's some of you here right now that you feel like you don't have anything in you. And I came to tell you, you have great things in you. But the only reason you're not seeing it 
is because it's sleeping. Oh, my God. You know what the word of the Lord is to you this morning? It's time to wake up that sleeping giant. It's time to wake up that potential. It's time to wake up that God-given ability that God placed in you from the matrix of your mother's womb. It's time to activate. It's time to come alive. See, what happens is when we begin to activate what God has placed in us, then the army of God can begin to grow. And that's what Paul said to Timothy, his son. He said, stir up the gift. Stir up the gift that I know is inside of you. Because Paul understood that when, when Timothy began to stir up what was inside of him, then others would be stirred. Are you hearing me today? You see, Paul understood what it was to make disciples. And Paul, speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, gives us insight to his method for effective discipleship. Let me, let me ask you this. What was Paul's ultimate goal in preparing men and women for the ministry? Well, he makes it pretty clear right here in 2 Timothy because Paul wanted to take people from being civilians to being soldiers, from being spectators to being participators, from being people who just watch what happens. Just like some of us here right now, you can't do you can't you like, I just want to watch what's going to happen. <laughs> you go to a football game and you just watch what happens. You go to the, see the Padres, you just watch what happens. You see everybody getting blessed and growing and you're just watching what happens. But wouldn't it be great to go from watching what happened to make things happen? Wouldn't it be great to go from being a spectator to being a mountain mover? Come on, somebody. Wouldn't it be great to be somebody to go from watching everybody else get blessed and everybody else going to the ne next level and watch everybody else breaking through to you actually being the one that God begins to break through? Am I in the right church this morning? Paul said, listen, if you're going to see it happen, you've got to move from being a civilian to being a soldier. Let me put it this way. You've got to move from being a wimp. See, I know how to wake people up from being a wimp to being a warrior. Are there any warriors in the house of the Lord this morning? Now, you said that's strong language, but, but Paul used strong language. Look at the scripture. He says, you, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Look at what he says. He says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Won't life entangle you? Won't life try to stop you from reaching your full potential? How many of you know what it is to have life just throw one thing at you after another? Just here's something else to deal with, and here's something else to deal with, and here's another problem to deal with, and, and now this one's sick, and go ahead and deal with that. Now this one's facing Now go ahead. How many know what it is to face trials in your life? So what Paul is saying to Timothy, he's saying no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he might please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So what was Paul's language? What was Paul actually saying to Timothy here in this scripture? I believe he was saying two things. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, he's saying to Timothy that the Christian life is a life of spiritual warfare. Now let me go a little bit deeper in this service because... 
in the, in the last service, I talked about the Christian life. But let me go into this service and tell you, life is warfare. That's why some of you are here in church this morning. Because life has been a battle. Come on, talk to me. Life has been a battle. Your marriage has been a battle. Your health has been a battle. Your money, oh, you, you, I don't got any honest people here this morning. Your money has been about, your money's been acting funny. Can I hear an amen? You can't get the people to cooperate with you. You're saying, let's go here. You're all by yourself. You look back, your family's still stuck. You ain't saying nothing to me today. And I came to let you know, life is a battle. But what Paul is saying to Timothy, if you're going to win in this thing called life, you better recognize that you are in a war, baby. You are in a battle, baby. If Jesus is in your life, you have been in listed in a battle and you need to understand hear me now and hear me clear that our battle is not against flesh and blood let me talk to you for a moment let me tell you something my friend your battle is not against people that's why we don't win because we're always looking at people this one burned me and that one burned me and my husband burned me and my wife but let me tell you something your battle is not against people your battle is against spiritual forces of the enemy that are trying to stop you from achieving God's plan in your life can I get anybody to help their preacher this morning can I get anybody to back up their pastor this morning back up this word and recognize that I've got to stop fighting with man I've got to stop fighting with women I've got to understand that the devil hates me the devil hates my family the devil wants to bring division the devil wants to bring curses the devil wants to bring frustration but God has given me the power to tear down the works of the enemy for we battle not against flesh and blood but against ball oh, come on somebody touch someone and tell them I'm not mad at you no more because you're not the problem my God. Come on, tell him you're not the problem. I just finally realized you're not the problem. I just figured out that the devil is trying to get in between my family and the devil's trying to destroy my life. Lean in on this word and understand and take this word serious. I didn't, I feel bad for our newcomers. But I want to just tell you, the devil hates you, man. But don't feel so bad. He hates us, too. He wants to destroy our life. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But what's the promise? Jesus says, I came to give life and life more abundantly. Come on, somebody. We have the victory. So Paul is telling his son Timothy, listen, the Christian life is a life of spiritual warfare. But secondly, our victory can be attained, listen to this, through obedience to our spiritual commander. So if we're involved in warfare and we are soldiers in the army of God, then how many know that the only way to attain victory is through the obedience to our spiritual commander. And, and let me tell you, in this battle, my friend, Jesus is our commander-in-chief. Don't, don't underestimate this point, my friend. Don't underestimate this word this morning. Understand that when a disciple walks closely to the word, 
obedience. See, this is the struggle now. See the warfare going on here? The word obedience turned you off. I was always trained, trust no man. I mean, no, not, don't obey me. <laughs> trust no woman. You know, don't, 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 blame, don't be obedient to me. Be obedient to the words of your commander. Come on, Victory Average. Clap to the Lord if you understand. See, what Paul is telling Timothy, if you're obedient to the words of your commander, victory is guaranteed. If you can learn to walk closely to his word, the enemy is defeated. You see, friends, the more you demonstrate obedience, and that's, that, I believe that's a word we need, right? Because we are dealing with a very disobedient generation out there. They just are trained the other way. Don't trust anyone. Okay, but trust God. And understand that God has the key to your success. The more we demonstrate obedience, the more skilled and effective we become in the things of God. See, I've had to change. Let me, let me share this with you. We're, we're in 2016, right? And, and I want to tell you, I've had to change my method of evangelism and talking to people about the Lord. I really have. And, and, and I'm going to tell you when, you, when you talk to Christians and, and, and you really see that struggle in their life, is because they fail to understand the true mission of Jesus. When you go out there and you talk to people and you ask them if they know Jesus, right? You've done it. They say, oh, yes, I love Jesus. Ooh, I love him, boy. Yeah, man. Do you love, do you, yeah, I love Jesus, man. Do you have a relationship? Yes. But then here comes the question. See, a lot of times when I evangelize people now, I don't, I don't say, do you love Jesus? Do you know Jesus? They all know him. They all love him. But you, then you, you ask him the second question, do you have a church? Do you have a pastor? Now, now this is a critical question. And this is when they say, no, man, I don't, no, man, no, man. No, man, I don't need no church. I don't need no pastor, man. It's me and Jesus, man. <laughs> Come on now. But then the question becomes, then, okay, if you have Jesus, then the question is, who is equipping you for the battle? Bob Marley, man? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Talk to your pastor this morning. Yeah, you have Jesus, but who's training you for the battle? Yes, you have Jesus, but whose word do you sit under that is equipping you to exchange spiritual victory in your life, spiritual victory in your marriage, spiritual victory for your children? You're not saying nothing to me this morning. Is this new revelation to you today? For some of you, it might be because you say, well, all I need is Jesus. And that's one of the biggest lies that the devil could ever trick you into. You need to understand the gift of having a church and the gift of having a pastor that will equip you and train you and prepare you for spiritual battle. Come on, some of the oldies are with me right now because you know that's that old time Christian gospel. That's the way we were raised. We were raised to be in church. We were raised to be under the word. We recognize the 
value of having a pastor and having leaders that will train us in the word and equip us to go to war against the devil. Am I in the right church this morning? Come on and shout if you recognize the importance. That's why when I go out there and win souls, I say, listen, what church do you go to? I don't go to church. You need Jesus, brother. Well, I have Jesus. Yeah, but if you don't have a church, where are you being trained? Where are you being equipped for battle? Because how many know life is a battle? And how many know in this battle we must recognize that God raised up the church? Now, this is important. God raised up the church to be an organized and mobilized army. You're not sitting next to a Christian this morning. You're sitting next to a soldier. Oh, come on and help your pastor. You're sitting next to a warrior this morning. You've got to change. Now, that soldier may not be activated. See how this works together? But the Holy Spirit is going to activate you for battle this morning. We know we're an army. We're an army. And when we begin to activate every Christian here, oh, good, good Lord, this army is going to grow. And we're going to see many leaders rise up in our midst. Can you give God the biggest praise you can as I get ready to move on? God raised us up so that we could be equipped for spiritual battle. Paul recognizes. Now, this morning, we're all at a different level. And recently, there was a survey that was taken in churches across America, a very recent survey, about what spiritual level people were when it came to church involvement. And in that survey, it discovered four levels. I want to give you these levels this morning. And maybe you'll be able to really identify what level you are at today when it comes to this church army that we're talking about. The first level of a disciple is called, well, the first level of, of Christian is called the fellowship level. Everybody say fellowship. When a person comes into fellowship or walks through the doors of this church and says, I want a fellowship, fellowship actually opens the door to a person's spiritual journey. Because how many know that this is not a club? This is not the Kiwanis Club, the Lions Club. This is not the golf club. And this is not the club club. This is church. And the whole purpose of being here is to grow spiritually to be equipped and prepared for battle. And when someone comes into fellowship, fellowship opens the door to that spiritual journey. Now, why do people come to church? This is a great question to ask this morning because maybe there's someone here that feels exactly this way. But why do people come to church? Well, I tell you, I believe people come to church and this is not in no way to put anybody down because we all came in through the same door. But why do people come to church? Many times people come to church because, to be honest with you, they're lonely. 
they're lonely. How many could say when you came to church the first time, you were lonely? I know I was. Some of you are not going to admit it. You're like, look at it. I'm not lonely. Okay. But people do come because they're lonely in life. You know the world out there? It's a cold world. It's a cold world. It'll take all you have and leave you lonely. A lot of people who walk through the doors seeking fellowship, it's not only that they're lonely, you know what? They're hurt. They're hurt. Life has hurt them. Someone hurt them. Maybe they went to another church and someone hurt them in that church. And they come in lonely. They come in needing fellowship, seeking to connect with God. But let me also tell you this. Not only connect with God, but connect with people. But what kind of people? Are you thinking? What kind of people do they seek to connect with? Let me tell you. The type of people they want to connect with are pure people. Because if someone wanted to hang out with impure people, they would not expect to find those people in the house of the Lord. There's plenty of impure people at Gasland. Hey. There's plenty of impure people at Diamond Gyms. You didn't think I knew about Diamond Gyms, huh? Boy, I know about everything. I'm the pastor. I don't want my sheep going certain places. There's plenty of impure people at work. So when they come to church, they say, I'm out, I would, I'm lonely, and I would like to connect with someone that's pure. I want to see what a pure marriage really is. I want to see what it means to raise pure children. My kids may not be pure, but I want to at least get a reference point. I want to know what it is to be a single person in church that doesn't have to sleep around with everybody. I'm tired of sleeping around. Come on, somebody. Does it make sense? And how many know that's why as the church, we must protect our purity. As the church, as the people of God, we must rise up because some of us are praying for loved ones. We're praying for our kids to get saved. And the last thing we want those kids to do is to come into the house of the Lord and connect with a Christian that is not protecting their purity. Not living the way they know they should be living. Even Jesus said it. Even Jesus said, listen, if any of you causes one of these little ones to stumble... Just hang yourself with a millstone and throw yourself at the bottom. There'll be a great judgment on you. Even Paul said, don't desire, James said, don't desire all to be teachers. Because there will be a stricter judgment. Peter said, judgment begins 
Is this too strong for you? With the house of the Lord. Why? Because there are people seeking pure relationship. Ooh, that's heavy. <laughs> Look at your neighbor. And if you're new, you should feel good right now. You're like, hey, pastor, yeah, man. Look at that person who's sick. Ask him, are you pure? Can I connect with you? <laughs> are you going to hurt me? We got to guard it. Come on, talk to me. We, how many can clap and agree with this? Come on, how many can clap and agree? We got to guard it. People are hurt. They need to be healed. My prayer is that when people go to that connection zone, they're going to encounter pure leaders. That when people come to City Life Group, they're going to come into an atmosphere where there's purity, where they, can, where they can lay their troubles to rest. They can say, yes, there is a place of safety. Yes, there is fresh water to be drunk. Yes, there is a place where I can have my wounds healed. Come on, am I in the right church this morning? When they come into the youth department or the young adults, they say, listen, these are places where I can see what real Christianity is all about. How many want to be a part of a church like that? So the first level is fellowship. The second level is relationship. Now I'm in. Now I, I found a, someone pure. Now I see the purity of, of, of God in the church. But what's next? See, God's plan for spiritual growth will always require for you to come into relationship. Say that with me. Say relationship. Listen, godly, healthy, pure relationships are what solidify us in the plan of God. When people walk through these doors, they say, is there purity? Yes, there's purity. Okay. But now, if you're going to grow, you've got to come into relationship with that person of purity. See, you can only be established through relationship. And this was even a key event for Paul. You know, Paul was one of the most hardcore guys there was. He murdered Christians. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. In regards to the law, he was zealous, the most zealous, meaning he was self-righteous. He had it all together. You couldn't judge him. But even for being such a hardcore person and a great person that he was, he still needed to come into fellowship. When you look at his so, uh, Damascus Road experience in Acts chapter 9, where he encountered Jesus for the first time and he was blinded. In Acts chapter 9, he tells Paul, go to Damascus and wait. But then the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself, spoke to a man by the name of Ananias, who was a member of the church. And he told Ananias, go over to Damascus, to the street called Straight, and there's a man there who is a treasure out of darkness. There's a man there who's a special treasure that I'm going to use him in a mighty way. And what I want you to do, Ananias, is I want you to pray for him. I want you to come into relationship with him. And he even said, well, wait a minute. I've heard a lot about this guy. This guy's scary. Lord, are you sure it's you that's speaking to me? You want me to go speak to him? Yes, I want you to go speak to him. And Ananias was obedient, and he went and he prayed for Paul, and God set the miracle of discipleship in motion for Paul the Apostle. See, no matter who you are, my friend, 
You need relationship to grow. You need to not only come and fellowship with this church, but you know what? You need to come into relationship with the people. See, what does relationship do in solidifying us in God's plan? Four things. Is this helping you today? The first thing is that when you have a relationship, you have someone that can walk with you. Listen, you'll never grow if you come in late and leave early and never talk to nobody. You'll never grow if you sneak in, hear the message, do the sign of the cross. And, and can I talk to my church for a minute? Some of you have been doing that for a few months now, and it's time to stop. I could point you out. I won't do it, but I could point you out. I know who you are. Sometimes you sit here. Sometimes you sit here. Sometimes you sit here. Sometimes you sit in the back. You think nobody sees you. And let me tell you something. Nobody may see you, but I see you. You're nervous now. Don't call me out, Pastor. I'm not going to do you like that. But come on, man. Come into relationship. No one makes it by themselves. You need someone to walk with you. The Bible says that two are better than one. The second benefit of relationship is not only do you have someone to walk with you, but you have someone to stand with you. To stand with you when the devil comes against you. And let me say something to you, my friend. The devil is going to sooner or later try to come against you. When you have someone standing with you, that means you have someone praying with you. Coming into agreement with you. Someone that you can go to and you can say, listen, man, the devil has been attacking me. The devil's coming against my marriage. Would you pray with me? Listen, as even as the pastor today, there's a number of people in this church that I am in, in agreement with right now about sickness in their body, about marriage troubles, about their children. I stand with them in prayer and they stand with me in prayer. And that's why we are still here today. Because when you have someone to stand with you that simply means you have somebody that has your back in the toughest of life's trials we all need somebody can I hear an amen and that's the third benefit is that you have someone to fight with you but not fight with you like come on girl let's go scratch their face no we don't do that no more we don't scratch faces no more our battle's not against people. Talk to me. Well, you, girl, I'm with you. You know, man, homeboy, what's up? They disrespected you. No, 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 no. We don't get down like that. No, homeboy, we're not on the yarda no more. I said, we're not on the yarda. We do spiritual warfare now. We fight the devil. We cast down strongholds. We tear. Come on, am I in the right church this morning? We break curses in the name of Jesus. We fight in the spiritual realm. If you're down, I pick you up. If I'm down, you pick me up. How many want to be a part of a church just like that? Come on and give God praise if you know that you need to come into relationship. I think the value of relationship in the church is just to know that when times are tough, I got someone that I can call. Man, can I talk to you? Can you pray for me? But then, you know, sometimes you got to pick up your phone too. Is there anything I can pray for you for? Somebody say relationship. Now, let me say this as I get ready to come into the last two points and I get ready to close. You get something today? I want to say something, and I don't want to offend you, but I want you, because I'm teaching. Is it okay if I teach? Yeah. 
I don't want to offend you, but I do want you to understand that to be in the phase of fellowship and in the phase of relationship is to only be really in the elementary phase of church life. To be in a fellowship phase or the relationship phase is really only to be in, in a sense what Paul would call the elementary things of the faith. And I believe this, is that there are people here today that you know that church is fellowship and church is relationship. But there are times where your Christianity is based on those things alone. That the reason sometimes Christians don't make it in church or only come for a period of time, are you guys hearing this, is because everything's based on people. So if things are going well with people, then things are going well with you. But if things are not going well, can anybody back me up on this point? Then you take a break. Oh, I'm, gonna take a, I'm not going. I'm going over here now where no one knows me. Or I had someone Facebook me one time. I'm fellowship, fellowshipping with this church now. I said, that's someone that still is looking at people. But how many of you say, we've got to take our eyes off people. And we've got to put our eyes on God. Woo, this is good. That my spiritual growth is not only linked to people. But at some point, I've got to go to another level. What is the next level? Watch. It goes from fellowship to relationship to thirdly, discipleship. Now, one can only be called a disciple, watch this, when Jesus has taken lordship of their life. Oh, this is good. We've got to move from friendship to lordship. This is, watch how strong this is. When, to, in order to be a disciple, we must release total control to God. This is heavy. A disciple is someone that says, Jesus, you are Lord, and I have released full control to you. Oh, man. Which means that no matter what people do, oh, you are the one that is in control of my life. Oh, this is good. Come on, clap if you just caught it. And that's, that's why I believe that one of the greatest discipleship scriptures is the story of when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. What a moment. He's in the garden, right? And the future of mankind lays in this decision of him being in the garden 
And Jesus is seeing everything that he's going to have to endure. The punishment, the pain, the blood. The song we sang, the lamb that was slain, he's the lamb. The mocking, carrying the cross, being nailed to the cross, dying in a, in a, in a brutal, but more than that, carrying all the sins and being separated from his father. He can forecast all of it. And there he is in the garden. And what does he say? He said, Father, if there's any way that this cup could be taken from me, if there's any other pathway to salvation, Father, is there another way, Father? Is, is there any way that I don't have to endure this punishment? Father, is there any other way? But look what he says. But nevertheless, not my will. Your will be done. In other words, Lord, Father, I could take control. But instead of taking control, I release control. Is this talking to you? Let me ask you a question. Was Jesus being pleasing to his commanding officer in that moment? Was he being obedient to his commanding officer in that moment? I declare to you, yes, he was being obedient and his commanding officer was well pleased. And we were the ones who benefited because he was willing to release control. Now let's talk about discipleship. Thank God none of us have to die for the sins of others. Because if that were the case. Man would be doomed. But we may not have to die for the sins of mankind. But let me say something to you. In order to be a disciple, you do die over smaller things every day. Dad. Husband. Don't tell me you don't know what it is. To die a little death every day. Right? Mom, raising those kids. Oh, yes, I know you would rather be, you know, at the mall. But you're not at the mall. You need deep in diapers. Talk to me. Don't tell me you don't know what it is. Yeah, it's not. Calvary, but don't tell me you don't know what it is at times to say, God, I release control. Those of you that are working that job, bringing home the bacon, don't tell me you don't know what it is to be at work and deal with these uncircumcised Philistines <laughs> cussing all around you and Pushing every button. Hey, Jesus boy, hey, don't tell me. You don't know what it is. Talk to me, church. 
to die a little death. Yeah, it's not Calvary, but in order to be a disciple, Jesus must be Lord. And you must say, God, I give you all the control. You can't be a disciple unless Jesus has taken control of your life. And you say, what is Jesus going to tell me to do, Pastor, if I give him control? He's only going to do what's in his heart. All he's going to do is, is what's in his heart. What's in Jesus' heart? What is Jesus' heart? Think about it. Boil it down. Break it down all the way to the very last compound. As Karis one once said. What is Jesus' heart? People. When you give God control, what's he going to do? He's going to call you the fourth, to the fourth level of discipleship. You're going to move from discipleship, watch, to leadership. What is leadership? Is leadership making a lot of money? Well, if that's the case, I'm still waiting for my check. Is leadership being famous? Yes, I'm going to be famous. They're going to put my face on a flyer, and it's going to be on Facebook, and everyone's going to like it. Bing, 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 bing. Young people sometimes think these ways. Is leadership driving a nice car? Is leadership an image? Maybe to some. But you know what Jesus' leadership is? It's simply servanthood. That's it. Isn't a dad a servant? Do you think a man, a grown man, in his mid-40s with a little bit of a weight issue? Wants to be outside throwing a ball and chasing a football with a little kid with a six-pack? <laughs> Looking stupid, pulling his hand. All tired, he can only run for five minutes. <laughs> but why does he do that? Yeah, it means something to him, but it means more to his son. He's serving his son. He's loving his son. Do you think a mom enjoys cooking dinner for eight people every night? Her fingers are all burned from flipping the tortillas. You should see my grandma's hands. She can touch fire and doesn't burn. She's like X-Men. She got the thickest hands. Well, she loves it now, but I'm sure it wasn't easy raising all those kids by herself. What is leadership? When Jesus has control, what is he going to ask you to do, Victoria Outreach San Diego? He's just going to say, serve my people. If you're that dad, those kids, those are God's people.
If you're that mom, those kids, that family, that husband, that wife, those are God's people. All he's asking is serve my people. Love my people. If you're that single person, he wants you to love people. What is leadership? What are we asking? What are we saying God's going to do? He's not going to raise up only 500 leaders. He's going to raise up 500 powerful servants that love God's people. Can you clap? I'm done. Come on, Matthew. Can you clap? Come on, clap for the Lord. See, maybe, maybe you're a leader and you don't even know it. Maybe you're a powerful leader and you don't even know it yet. You bought that homeless guy a sandwich the other day because you felt led. That's leadership quality. You encouraged that guy at work because you seen that he was down and you had been through some stuff. That's leadership quality. You're that lady who picked up your neighbor's kids because you saw that she was overwhelmed. That's leadership quality. You did a favor for a friend. That's leadership. Are there any servants of God that love people? You went the extra mile for, at work because they asked you. And sure, they were going to pay you, but you know it's not that much money. You would have rather had the hour or two. But you did it because you have leadership quality. It's here. We don't need to recruit. The leaders are here. I look at it all. You're here. You're here, man. I'm blown away. There's so many. You let your friend sleep on your couch last night. Leadership quality. You pick someone up out of your way. Leadership quality. It's inside of you. You say, well, pastor, I haven't done anything like that in the last few months. You don't know what I've been facing. I've been through some trials. If you have a sword in the spirit that has blood on it, you're a leader. If you have the helmet of salvation with a big old dent, you're a leader. If you have a shield of faith, come on somebody, that has fiery arrows in it that you've been using, and right now you haven't been able to help a lot of people, you've been trying to help yourself, you're a leader. Paul says, having done all to stand, Stand, therefore. So if you're still standing this morning, guess what? You're a leader that God could use. Oh, come on, somebody. You can be anywhere. You can be anywhere, but where are you? You're here in the house of the Lord because you recognize that God has a plan and a calling and a purpose for your life. I feel like I need to say this to this service. There's greatness in you. There's greatness in you. And we're going to teach you how to overcome your past. If you'll, if you'll be open. We're going to teach you how to heal. 
We're not the healers, but we can show you the pathway to healing. The same way God healed me, healed my wife, healed many of our pastors and leaders. God can do it for you. I know you've been hurt. I know you've been through struggles. But we serve a healing and miracle working God. You can't convince me that we don't. I feel like I need to tell you there's greatness in you. But you've got to cross that river. You've got to cross that river from relationship and fellowship. Those, those are good things. But you can't stay there forever. You've got to go into discipleship. You've got to say, I'm not in control anymore. Isn't it tiring being in control? Can I, don't you get tired? Don't you want to be like Carrie Underwood and be like, Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hand. It feels like that. Some of you need to come to Saltry and say, Jesus, take the wheel. My arms are tired. I can't drive no more. I've come this far in my own strength and I'm stuck. It's time for me to go to another level. And I want to pray for you because there's greatness inside of you. And you say, Pastor, I, I, I feel that. I feel there's something inside of me that's good. But I need to activate it. We're going to help you. But before we do, you need to come to this altar and let the Holy Spirit touch you. Because unless the Holy Spirit touches you, it can't spring up. There's nothing I can say to you that will do anything. But when the Holy Spirit touches you, so all I'm offering for you is an altar call where the Holy Spirit can touch you from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. If you're that person, I want you just to come on up here and you say, I'm ready to cross that plane. I'm ready for God to do that new thing in my life. And I want some leaders to come and lay hands with people.